Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I am so proud to report on the major technological infrastructure updates uh, throughout Canada, across the entire country, because usually in late May, we never hear a peep from these Raptors fans, right? The internet goes down. They don't have the ability to send us email. They go into hiding. Unless I'm taking a shot at maybe DeRozan or something, we don't really hear from them for like two months straight. But the internet up there is alive and well. The Toronto termites are feeling themselves. I noticed they waited to really start the gloating until after game six. To me, the series was over after game five. I kind of came on here with that attitude. I told you I bought the plane ticket and everything else. But yep. they waited. I don't know if they were a little bit nervous about closing that thing out. Maybe some uh, you know, bad repressed memories were coming back to the surface. But boy, did we hear from them. And I, we've got tons of emails. I'm sure you're going to take us through a bunch of them to kind of you know, let them uh, have their celebration day. We can maybe you know, answer some questions, push back you know, here and there as warranted. But I just want to say this uh, off the top, first of all, you know, an official address to the termites, okay? Uh, <laughs> okay. When I named the termites the termites, uh, you know, some people told me, you know, that's a little dehumanizing. That's a little bit, you know, like negative. Like you're comparing to them these little, you know, gross bugs. Who wants to be compared to that? To right. me, it was always out of affection and out of admiration. I mean, look, this fan base is nuts. They love their team. They're incredibly passionate. Sometimes that passion borders on delusion, but I could respect that from a fan base at a group. And look, it colored their logic, their thinking at times. It led to numerous debates that got you know pretty ugly and heated over the years. But the one <laughs> thing that you could never question about them, and the reason why I gave them that name, is because you knew they were going to come back. They weren't going anywhere. There was nothing that you know Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan or Dwayne Casey could do on a basketball court that would shake their love for that team, right? It didn't matter how ugly it got. Sure, they might go into hiding for a couple weeks, like I was joking earlier, but these these fans are sticking with them and they're coming back. And I think the best compliment that you can pay, or at least that I can pay to this current Raptors team is that uh -huh. they're finally a team worthy of that fan base's uh, you know, love and admiration because you saw them get down multiple times uh, throughout the course of these playoffs. They had a really hairy second round series. They got off to an ugly start in the first round against Orlando. Obviously, they were down 2-0 uh, against M Milwaukee in the conference finals. Multiple situations where they're down like 15 points uh, as that series unfolded. And yet, you know, they just kept plugging, kept plugging, kept plugging. You give a lot of credit to Kawhi Leonard for that, but also to the guys who kind of stepped up around him who were steadier than they've been in past years. So I feel like the termites, uh, termites finally have their dream team here, a team that's going to be as relentless and, and willing to come back uh, as they are as fans. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, tens of thousands of people cheering in the streets. Uh, it's been a long time coming for them, and I think it came yeah. together beautifully for them. The scene up there after they closed out game six, it looked like the entire city was in the streets of Toronto. And I mean, I had been up there a couple times earlier in the playoffs. Like they were covering several blocks at least. It just, um, I don't know. It looked like Times Square on New Year's Eve. Like I, I can't believe how wild everybody went. It was, it was very cool to watch. And it is. It's hard not to be happy for Raptors fans because they have been diehards like year in and year out, basically no matter what happens. And um, I will say 
on behalf of the Open Floor Podcast. <laughs> I've really enjoyed interacting with Raptors fans over the years because most of them have a good sense of humor despite the endless yeah. jokes that they've been forced to adore at our hands. Look, they, they've built up a thick skin, right? That's that's why they're right. termites. They keep coming back. doesn't matter if there's Chernobyl or an atomic bomb. Like, the termites are going to be surviving that. <laughs> and they basically did in the last five years. I mean, there's lots of people. We can go through the list. Jay Skeets, Taz Mellis, Holly McKenzie, uh, the guys who are, you know, customizing our jerseys somehow as Toronto Raptors fans, Kevin Funk and friends, right? Uh, yep. There's a lot of people who I, I definitely feel you know great for on an individual basis. Uh, so I think it's exciting. Now, this being said, did it rub you weird at all that they're celebrating like they won the title after w- winning the Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, that is the breakthrough game, right? That's the first time they're going to make the NBA Finals. Uh, a lot of people didn't see it coming, myself included, uh, at least uh-huh. this year. They had to balance an awful lot along the way, like I mentioned, including you know Kawhi's health, uh, including you know some of these guys just no showing in certain games. They had to get you know just gigantic contributions from you know new father Fred Van Vliet to get it done. But yeah. that looked like a title celebration, right? And I don't know, did that. Did that rub you at all when you were watching those scenes play out? <laughs> did it rub me at all? Um, it did not, and I'll tell you why. Because at this point, I thought about it. I think that the Raptors are sort of playing with house money right now because of how crazy this whole year has been, because of how cool this particular playoff run has been. It is now into territory where I think no matter what happens, they are going to look back on this with all kinds of fond memories. And it's just this sort of magical six weeks that is going to be kind of treasured forever up there, regardless of like they could lose in five to the Warriors. And I think everyone up there would still look back and say, this was amazing. The entire city came together. Kawhi is a legend, whether he stays or not. And um, I don't know, maybe that's kind of a loser's mentality, but I look at it, if if I were a Raptors fan, I would just be thrilled beyond belief right now, and um, I, I would kind of be Teflon headed into the to, to the finals. Yeah, and actually, I think that's one of their biggest advantages in terms of the players, is not only do they have home court advantage, but all the pressures on, all the expectations on Golden State. You know, it is yeah. absolutely like nobody believed in us, let's uh, go out there and shock the world. You know, the, the betting market's open, Golden State's heavy favorites, even though, uh, you know, they had a, a fairly e- easy, uh, you know, Western Conference Finals, and they don't have Kevin Durant to open the series. Uh, so I, I think that sets up pretty nicely, you know, from a mentality standpoint for Toronto. I do want to just make this point, though. Uh, as mm-hmm. much as the fan base was celebrating, and it, it, it did just kind of make me think twice of like, oh, my God, I don't think I've ever seen so many people so excited just to make the finals, right? Uh, I don't think that's... Right. Has that ever happened in NBA history? I mean, I remember the stories as a kid of like Chicago going crazy when they won the titles and, you know, the looting and all those kinds of things, but... I can't remember anybody. Well, you know, you know what it reminded me of. Did you ever see videos of Philadelphia after the Eagles won the Super Bowl a year and a half ago? Wait, what's the Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, so we don't acknowledge the NFL on this podcast, but when Philly won the Super Bowl, it really like the entire city or the Cubs winning the World Series. Like that's the scale of like millions of people, just like large scale euphoria. And, um, you know, we never see that when a team makes the final. So that's part of what made it so cool with Toronto. Like, you could see how desperate these people were to just have a winner and have a reason to celebrate basketball. And just, like, 
you know, I was talking to some other people who are close to Canadian hoops. The, the, the growth of basketball culture in general over the last 10 years up there is pretty insane. And, um, and so I think it's all kind of coming together with this Raptors run. And there's a lot of catharsis given some of what's happened in the past. And, um, so, yeah, I, I definitely hear you, though, yeah. where it looked like they were celebrating a title. So the contrast I was going to draw is that's how the fans reacted, right? But the organization kept their focus. I mean, if there was ever a win for the team itself to get lost in, whether it's like Kyle Lowry, uh, Mark Gasol, who's never been to the finals before after his long career, or some of these other people who have endured these ups and downs, even a guy like Siakam, who's a pretty young player, but like they got punked by LeBron last year. That was painful, right? So you would think that these are the guys who are going to get completely lost in the moment and go crazy. They stuck to the script and maintained their composure so well. Masai Ujiri's message on the court after the game, we're not satisfied. We want to win the title. Kawhi Leonard yeah. comes out and says, I don't care about being the best player. I want to be the best team. Uh, we've still got work to do. Uh, you know, it reminded me a little bit of those 2014 Spurs where, you know, Duncan survives the thunder in the Western Conference Finals and he just doubles back around and says, look, we're not done yet. We've got some revenge on our mind. We're going to win this thing. Um, that level of focus, even Lowry was the same way. He's like, look, you know, I'm going to feed the big dog on the on the transition, you know, speaking of uh, Leonard, and then essentially saying, look, we're trying to you know, ride his personality, his level-headedness, uh, and, and to finish this job and, and try to get a championship. So I thought amidst all this chaos from their fans, the Raptors mm -hmm. for once as a team actually were completely like laser-focused, locked in, and saying all the right things believably. It did not, to me at all, feel like lip service. I think that they feel like they're a pretty special team and that they've got a real shot against Golden State. You can't ask for you know better help than not having Kevin Durant to open the series if you're the Raptors. I mean, that's uh, a huge matchup advantage for them. And so I just thought that, you know, the, the takeaway from that, you know, magnificent night for them from game six was like the most impressive part was their mentality. Yeah, Masai in particular was pretty badass when he was accepting the Eastern Conference Finals trophy. And you could tell that like the, the whole place was ready to lose its mind and, and sort of celebrate the moment. And Masai was not going to bite on any of that and just said, you know what, we still have work to do, et cetera, et cetera. And they all kind of struck that that note um, post game, which is obviously the right things to say. Um, and, and to be fair to the Raptors, I think they've said a lot of the right things over the years. The difference now is that they actually have the guys who can go out and execute. Well, and um, we believe them. I mean, come on. Like, there's a lot of times they said the right things. They, you know, they're looking down at their heads or like, you know, they're, they're slubbed shoulders or, you know, all this. I mean, at some points, the right things they were saying was like, look, we can't beat LeBron. He's too good for us. Like, we don't true. we don't know what to do. <laughs> like, so I just think that it's emblematic of their growth. I mean, the Maasai thing is a great point. Like five years ago, he's screaming profanities to try to rile the fan base up and to like instill them with a level of pride yeah. because they made the playoffs now you look five years later it's like the more mature the wiser like you know the more self-assured uh, executive saying look guys like, and you know what we he love this been moment very understated all year long and and basically stayed in the shadows i mean i was up there and trying to talk to him is pretty tough right now and a couple of the other reporters were just like yeah Masai is not doing media this year it's he's he's out of the spotlight and um I think that's an interesting way to play it, a smart way to play it, because there is room for him to come to center stage here and take credit for all this. I think a lot of people have have done that on his behalf, um, but they're all kind of just letting their play do the talking. So let's get into the emails a little bit. 
I will say Ben hit me up uh, on Sunday. We're recording this on Monday, Memorial Day, and Ben hit me up and said, just list all the Toronto termite emails. Let's just get through them all. And I refuse to do that because we got <laughs> like 25. You guys will get the point. All right. We got a lot of emails uh, from it was, Toronto it was Raptors a, At least fans. 100 emails. I mean, I, I've yeah. been skipping through them. That's why I said you should do it because I wanted you to <laughs> have to suffer sorry. and protect me from it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Let let the world know Ben was fully prepared to eat crow for like an hour and a half on this podcast, but I don't think that would be the best radio. I will say, as far as Raptors fans are concerned, I, like 80% of the Raptors fans we've dealt with over the years have a great sense of humor. Uh, and like you said, uh, it's been a lot of fun to meet them offline, and it's been great. Did there you, are twenty percent of math, you people. I mean, eighty percent. Uh, I don't know. Well, okay. I would I would say the the vast majority of people I've interacted with have been cool, but then there are some who come out of the woodwork just to basically curse us out, and um, that's fun too. I don't blame that. I don't blame Raptors fans at all for for taking that approach in this moment. Anyways, Dave says hi, guys. Kyle Lowry and all of Toronto will be accepting apologies until tip-off on Thursday night. Raps in seven. Kawhi over everything. Masai is God. The North remembers. Cheers. So I want to take this opportunity to single out Lowry in particular because he has been the target of all kinds of ire over the years. And I am blown away by how well he played in this series. And I don't think we have anything to apologize. I'm not going to do the we thing, actually. I have nothing to apologize for doubting Kyle Lowry because he really struggled during the Sixers series. And there were moments in Game 7 where he was giving them pretty much nothing beyond the, the winning plays that people always talk about with Lowry. But like, as far as scoring, they needed a secondary scorer and Kyle Lowry wasn't it. And it was kind of a throwback to a lot of the moments we've seen over the years with him struggling in the playoffs. And then he came out in this in this Buck series and was just awesome from start to finish. I'm happy for him. He's someone who I've always really enjoyed from afar. And I, I've I've struggled with like crushing him in, in some of the moments where he's struggled because I do kind of I, I like him. I, I I like his sort of like prickly Philly personality. But, um, you know, no qualifiers. He was incredible during that Eastern Conference Finals. Well, people were mad at me for saying I wasn't that impressed about them beating Philadelphia. And I'll say I was very impressed with how they played against Milwaukee. Lowry's play was a major difference between those two series for me because yeah. the offensive balance returned. Uh, it, it wasn't devolving to the Kawhi Leonard show. Uh, you, you mentioned some of his defensive moments for sure, but I just think that their overall balance, their offense was much healthier uh, against Milwaukee and, and Lowry was kind of his fingerprints were like all over that. Um, you know, the other thing I'd say with him though, I mean, he was kind of in the training wheels matchup, you know what I mean? In the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Hill, the quality of the minutes that they were giving compared to sort of like what Lowry was able to put out there was, you know, kind of night and day. And I think mm -hmm. if anybody has a big adjustment individually, 
going towards the finals, I think it's Lowry because, and I don't know exactly how you're going to use him. If you're going to try to use him on Steph or clay or whatever else, but like his life is going to be a lot different. And I think, uh, golden state's defensive personnel is going to be a lot better against him, uh, than Milwaukee's wound up being. And he's going to have to score in this series, like you mentioned to kind of keep up because obviously golden state enters with the number one offense in the playoffs. We know what they could do scoring the basketball, you know, with or without Kevin Durant. I don't think the formula that we saw against Philly in terms of Kawhi tries to do it all is going to work because we've seen in the finals in the past, like, you know, when LeBron's been in that role, trying to have to do it all, not getting a lot of supporting uh, help, except for that one year from uh, Kyrie Irving, they wind up going Mm -hmm. down, you know, those teams went down pretty quickly, right? So for Lowry... He couldn't wipe the smile off his face. You did feel happy for him because he's been through an awful lot. He's heard every criticism there is to hear. So that had to be yeah. a sweeter moment probably for him than almost anybody else on that team. But his life is about to get a lot tougher. <laughs> and I, I think that we should remember that here uh, when we're trying to like put together the narrative because uh, you know, as much celebration is going on for him right now, like if Steph comes out and scores 35 and five straight games and the series is over, people are going to be right back hating on Lowry, fair or unfair. Mm. I don't know. I I think at this point, he, again, is one of those Raptors who is a little bit bulletproof no matter what happens in these finals. And what I enjoy about that is that, to your point, he has been defined by the way these seasons have ended for years now, in part because like he was so good during the regular season, so steady, and then suddenly everything went sideways as soon as they dealt with a team that was actually as talented or, or maybe more so. Um, and that was hard for people to watch and hard for people to reconcile. But like in general, when you look at the last six or seven years in Toronto, like Kyle Lowry has been an anchor for the most successful era this team has ever known, basically. And, um, and that I think is, is worth celebrating and it's cool to see him break through and have one year that is going to be remembered regardless. Um, so that is sort of generic crazy, but uh, he deserves it. Like <laughs> he's been, he's been awesome, well, and again, he also got like, over himself a little bit too. I mean, at the start of the season, like you can understand the hurt feelings with the DeRozan trade and all that. Um, but they had to really, you know, give Kawhi a wide berth on all fronts, whether it's his health, the touches, the role, how many shots he gets late game, running everything through him. I mean, all that stuff required some pretty serious sacrifices uh, from Kyle Lowry. So I think it's a credit to his game that he was able to take a, you know, take a step back, especially from an offensive standpoint. And maybe that was always going to happen, you know, at this stage of his career. Uh, but to mm-hmm. strike a partnership with uh, Kawhi in these playoffs, that was probably better and more consistent, especially in that conference finals, than we had seen up until that point, and which we I think we're right to question, uh, you know, throughout the season based on you know Kawhi coming in and out of the lineup uh, and and how different they looked when he was out there on the court. So um, you know I think it helps probably that he went through some of those things that you're talking about that he matured. You know I wonder would a 26 or 27 year old player in his situation who's you know making All Star teams and All NBA teams and really getting a lot of attention have been willing to make some of those uh, sacrifices or would have been you know capable of getting over you know kind of the mental hurdle of a team just totally changing direction so quickly with the brand new first year head coach and everything that goes on with that um, you know that was no easy situation for him to handle it uh, I'm not sure he always handled it perfectly uh, but he handled it well enough that they got here yeah and right now he's in a good spot just being around him up in Toronto 
he's in that veteran sweet spot where like you can tell he just doesn't care anymore about doing the media and whatnot and so he'll answer what he wants to answer he will shrug off questions he doesn't really care about and um i enjoy whenever any player gets to that point in his career so good for kyle lowry and um let's do two more raptors questions then let's turn to the bucks and then let's focus on the finals we'll hit some off-season stuff at the very end but this is from Toronto Termite. He's going to be the spokesman for everyone who angrily emailed us over the weekend. Oh, and I think, um, didn't and he register the email or like change his <laughs> yes. name? So he's Toronto Termite. So he really is. Yes. He gets this the- person is torontotermite at gmail.com. Uh, he checks in and says, I love your podcast, but you guys have been Raptors haters for far too long. And mm. I better hear a whole lot of eating your words this Tuesday. And I'm not asking for generic praise either. I want some real accountability for your terrible, cute story takes all year. And I want you to explain exactly what you got wrong. The Toronto Termites have chewed Giannis Inc. to the ground. And now it's time for you to eat your words. Apologize to Kyle. Apologize to Kawhi. Apologize to Drake. Raps in seven. Um, okay, so well, this is what I mean about keeping the same energy. We never hear from anybody after they lose, <laughs> and so then they come out and then they're gonna pound their chest. I get it. Um, I will hold myself accountable for the main take that I had last summer, which was they had to trade Demar Derozan or they weren't gonna get over the hump. I got what ninety-seven percent disapproval rating on that take from the Toronto fans last year. And what do you know? Mm. They trade uh, DeMar DeRozan and they get over the hump. So congratulations. Still waiting for my thanks on that, Andrew. I don't know. That must have got <laughs> that must have got completely lost in the By mail. By the way, I don't think doubling down on the one thing you were right about is what the termites <laughs> are looking for here, but I admire okay. it regardless. Fine. Um, look, we liked the trade when they made it, though, uh, for them. We did. But we had some pretty, we had some pretty open uh, questions from the Kawhi side, and I think rightfully so. And I think if what he's looking for is an apology, here's what we could say about Kawhi. When the trade first happened, it wasn't clear that he wanted to be there. And because the reports were there saying maybe he didn't, you have a question mark of a guy in the last year of his contract. Is he going to buy in? Is he going to be 100% there? We just saw him quit on another team. What's that going to look like? Are they going to be able to handle the acclimation process? You could say 100% for sure now, Kawhi was able to handle it and the Raptors were able to handle it with flying colors. So they nailed that. The next question with Kawhi is how is he going to get along with a brand new coach, the first time he hasn't played for Popovich, what's the system going to look like? How many games is is he going to play? And is he just kind of holding and and waiting until he can sign the big contract and go where he wants to go? Or is he really going to be invested? To me, that question was not answered until the Philly series when he really started putting them on his back and taking over. And then obviously Mm -hmm. answered in, in spades in the Eastern Conference Finals where he looks like he's playing through injury, doesn't look healthy. And yet again, he's taking on the most important defensive responsibility against Giannis. And he's kind of playing the best basketball, of his, or not kind of, he's playing the best basketball of his career all around for six straight games, right? And maybe the last yeah. five or, or the last four were better than the first two, but you get what I'm saying. So he answers that question. And I think also big picture, there was a question, how are his teammates going to respond to him? They had a really good thing going last year, right? Um, it wasn't a great thing, but it was steady. It was you know productive. They had uh, you know guys like DeRozan and Lowry who were very close friends as everybody's documented they had a a great bench uh i think called them the bench mob you know so they had a a structure of a team that could have kept going 
without making that trade. And Kawhi changed everything for them, and it wasn't clear that he was locked in for multiple years. That could have led to a lot of hard feelings, not only from Lowry, but from basically everybody else who either had to sacrifice or kind of put their career on hold to wait for, you know, what, what's Kawhi's decision going to be? What's it going to look like uh, when he's out yeah. there? To their credit, they just stepped up and played strong basketball without him all year, filling in the gaps when he wasn't on the court. And then they welcomed him back with open arms, uh, you know, during the playoffs. So I think from that standpoint, every single one of those questions that we had about either Kawhi or the situation surrounding Kawhi, they basically answered. And so you've you got to give them credit for that. And I think we've been doing that, especially here over the last couple of weeks, as it's really fully come together. Um uh, there's no doubt that this is sort of their wildest dream. This is the the best possible case scenario. They're living it right now with how these things could have played out from the moment that trade took place last summer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And it's funny. I don't feel as guilty and whatnot. I have been probably less dismissive about the Raptors along the way, except for our preview podcast, (laughs) Which, if longtime listeners recall, you and I had been recording for about um, an hour and 45 minutes when we got to the Raptors section of the Eastern Conference preview. And I did say that every single player on the Raptors roster was overrated except for Fred Van Vliet. And um, that's a take that I wanted back even a couple days afterwards. Although, Part of me still stands by it. Uh, I th- I still think people talk about Kyle Lowry like he's better than he actually is. And as far as the like cute story takes, over the last month and a half, I don't think anyone has called the Raptors a cute story. And, and me in particular, I've been on here talking about how great Kawhi is every single week. They're, part of what makes all of this so incredible, though, has been how rickety the Raptors have looked in some of the lower moments along the way where you're just like, wow, this team has five and a half players and Marcus Gasol looks kind of washed up. Serge Ibaka, you have no idea what you're getting from him on any given night. Danny Green just can't really make shots anymore. And Fred Van Vliet kind of fell off a cliff for a little while there. And so to see them all come back has been pretty wild. Um, And I think you're shortchanging the story if you act like they were that great all along, because that's part of what made this this Eastern Conference Finals so incredible is they all kind of came together. And it is a credit to their professionalism and maturity, because this is a hard situation to wrap your head around. I mean, Gasol has an option this summer. Kawhi, nobody has any idea what he's going to be doing. Lowry could be there, or if Kawhi leaves, he could end up on the Lakers or something. Like, it's a crazy deal here, and they've all been able to sort of block out any of that uncertainty and just kind of band together and make this work. It's been pretty wild to watch. Yeah, and the credit there goes back to Masai, I think, for establishing the culture and kind of, you know, clear internal communication, obviously. Otherwise, guys would be resentful, and they would check out in some of those tough moments that you mentioned where, you know, instead of checking out, they kind of... Uh, pulled together. Look, I call everybody a cute story, aren't you? I mean, you know, that's that's <laughs> kind of the bit. Like, don't take it personally. Like, I mean, how many teams have I called yeah. a cute story over there? Is 50? And now we have to move to the Giannis Inc. side of this. I believe as board members, we are required to issue a statement in light of what has befallen <laughs> the corporation here. Look, but we're first, fine. Ben, don't, don't overdo to, it, man. Giannis is fine. I, people are going yeah, too well, hard at him. 
Okay, you can, you can, you'll have your opportunity to say your piece. But first, today's show is brought to us by DraftKings. After a long and grueling regular season and battles through the, throughout the playoffs, the finals are finally tipping off this week. We got the Raptors, we got the Warriors. The Raptors are significant underdogs, but I don't know. I think this actually could get a little bit interesting. And we have DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, which is having its biggest online basketball contest ever. If you've been thinking Mm. about trying DraftKings, now is the time. With single game showdown, there will be $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs with a grand prize of $1 million. Here's how it works. All you have to do is draft six players from Thursday's game, one captain and five other players. You get points for rebounds, assists, points, and more. With your captain earning 1.5 times the points. It's that simple. Six players from one game. Just stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Go to DraftKings.com or download the app now. Use promo code FLOOR and enter the all-new Single Game Showdown Contest this Thursday to compete for the $1 million top prize. That's promo code FLOOR to compete for the $1 million top prize. Only at DraftKings, the game inside the game. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Seriously, if you're one of those fantasy basketball junkies who has spent the playoffs looking around and nervously itching your arm, wishing you could adjust your lineups, uh, go check out DraftKings.com. Use the promo code FLOOR and um, get involved for the finals. And now, Ben, let's move to the Buck side of this. Sebastian asks, Ben... How can you possibly stay on the board of Giannis Inc.? God. Start Zion Inc. like you said and leave Andrew on this silly hill to look like a fool. Or why not overcome your Raptors hate and start Kawhi Inc.? It's possible that he <laughs> might leave Toronto after this season. It's going to be a short and company, then you Andrew. Wouldn't even have to, <laughs> you wouldn't even have to worry about your Raptors hate in that scenario. So please email me soon, Sebastian says. As soon as you've resigned from Giannis Inc. Also, Andrew, the quote, if the Bucks make the finals, I would choose Eric Bledsoe over almost anyone to guard Steph Curry. Looks like you're going to have to put up with Kyle Lowry and Steady Freddy instead. Um, sure, whatever. I stand by Eric Bledsoe's defense. So what do you say as the supposed level-headed member of Open Floor do you resign from Giannis Inc. God, after this series? Don't don't insult me with that question, Andrew. It's one thing if Sebastian <laughs> comes out of the woodwork with some nonsense so he can get read on the podcast, but you better not be questioning me on that. Come on. Um, first thing, I want to underline that point about the, the dance that uh, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors have had to do this year You know, regarding his health and all that. Imagine if uh-huh. the Bucks just didn't have Giannis for 20 games this year, what that would look like at sort of random points, right? We saw what the Pelicans yeah. look like with AD in and out of the lineup or playing, you know, reduced minutes. The Lakers, when LeBron James uh, was injured. So, I mean, some of these are, are situations they couldn't really control and prepare for, right? But even if they could have, those teams are going to be looking pretty dicey. Um, and I think other, you know, let's say Houston, 
lost James Harden for 20 games this season, right? What does that look like? How do the various people step up and fill that void? I think it gets pretty dark. So, you know, it really was unique. And those are pretty much all of the good teams outside the Warriors who are stacked and are going to be able to survive injuries and absences sort of better than anybody else. Uh, But it, Uh it was remarkable. Now, in terms of Giannis, I thought he had, on balance, a good to very good series. He ran up against a defensive scheme that was excellent. It was very well thought out, led by an incredible defensive player in Kawhi Leonard, who's had lots of high-level reps against probably more complete offensive threats, whether it's LeBron James um, or Kevin Durant in the past, and he was not able to solve the problem. He competed very hard throughout the series. He found lots of ways to contribute. Everyone's going to talk about getting dunked on by Kawhi Leonard on that breakaway, and that was the play of the series. There's no doubt about it. But uh, don't forget, Giannis came back and blocked him on another a high above the rim, uh, you know, attempt, you know, late in that game. So I think that kind of symbolizes not only his work ethic, but his focus, his compete, his uh, mental ability to stay in, even though he was completely frustrated, and to play with pride. That's something that we've seen a lot of other high-profile players in these postseason, you know, not necessarily display when things were going against them. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we also saw holes that were that have been holes for years come back to bite him you know and and i think we debated a little bit okay uh, is he going to be able to develop that three-point shot on the last episode Uh, imagine if he just had one of kevin durant's turnaround 15 footers like what if that was in his arsenal how much more would that have opened up things for him to kind of get to the basket to have a little bit of versatility when he's in those one-on-one matchups how much would have that have allowed uh you know coach bud to vary you know their game plan offensively and to, to create other opportunities for people to force Toronto to double him at different parts of the court uh, where, you know, guys can get through for cutting or, you know, you make two passes to to get an open three-pointer on the weak side. Milwaukee just really didn't have any of that stuff in this series um, because Toronto did such a good job of taking away the basket area with their interior defense um, and, you know, leaving, you know, the Bucks kind of looking for answers. So this is not a crisis for Giannis. I think that it really surprised me how everybody was so excited to kind of see him fail, to see him come up short. Um, I don't know who was doing the hype besides us. I still feel like he's one of the most underrated players in the league in terms of how people talk about him around uh, the NBA. I think maybe there's certain fan bases out there who got victimized by him (laughs) during this season. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia 76ers fans, Boston Celtics fans who were kind of, you know, anxious for him to be, be torn down a little bit. But to me, this, I mean, crisis or whatever other word you're trying to call it. You know, I think you, you, you were saying maybe he got punked a little bit. I didn't think it was that serious. I thought he uh, he played with pride uh, and he had a very big imprint on the series, even though he was obviously outplayed. Yes. And um, I agree with most of what you said. He That was certainly my takeaway watching him in game six was, you know, why, maybe we don't need this guy to shoot threes because that's what's kind of frustrating watching Giannis right now is like he's either around the rim or he's carefully dribbling out to the three-point line and and setting up for like a uh, a set shot from the wing. Um, and I would love it if he could get a little bit more fluid in the mid-range and have a 15-foot jump shot to kind of unlock a little bit of freedom for him against some of these wall defenses that teams, I guess, are going to be playing for the rest of his career. I think that would go a long way. Um, As far as how he played in this series, 
it's it's tough because I don't want to take anything away from Kawhi because what Kawhi was able to do midway through this series, switch on to Giannis, contain him, and just tilt the entire series in Toronto's favor was incredible. And I think we're going to look back at this Kawhi playoff run and it's going to be right up there with basically anything we've ever seen in, in NBA history. Like, it's been that good along the last two rounds. Um, however... We need to be very clear when we're knocking Giannis. It like he was dealing with Kawhi, who's arguably the best perimeter defender on the planet, and maybe the best perimeter defender since Scottie Pippen. And then wherever he tried to go with the basketball, there was either Pascal Siakam or Serge Ibaka helping against him. And like that's a tough situation to deal with, particularly when you can't really kick to anybody. So. Well, I, the only thing I would disagree with you on is that he had a good series, not a, not a good to very good series. Like, he really struggled in some, in some key moments, and I think it's okay to say that and say that, like, down the stretch in Game 6, watching him in the paint, he didn't want to take a shot. And that was hard for me to watch as a longtime Giannis believer. Um, he just kind of looked shaken up by the way this series unfolded um but that this is a stepping stone he's he's 24 years old and this is something that we're going to look back on in a couple years when he is going to own the league because we got a lot of people being like oh i thought Giannis was the future this and that Giannis is still the future he is going to get better and one of the reasons you and i have believed in him all along is because he has gotten incrementally better each year He's motivated and locked in in a way that a lot of young players, like like maybe a Ben Simmons, have not been. And um, and I have faith in him. That said, this series was a bit of a setback. And coming into it, I I sort of thought that he had already arrived. And uh, it turns out, you know, he's a year or two away. So I mean, here's the case for him having a very good series. He averaged 23 points, uh, 14 rebounds, six assists, a steal, and three blocks against the Toronto Raptors in that series. So like, we're grading Giannis on a curve because he's probably going to win the MVP because the expectations are so high, and, and because it became this head-to-head showdown against Kawhi, and Kawhi won it. Yeah, Giannis was really, really good, and he he impacts games in lots of different ways, and in the, the most obvious ways where he's struggling is is the offensive stuff when the ball's in his hands and he's running out of ideas. I think people tend to focus on that, um, and you know, looking past everything else he's doing on the court. I think that the narrative would have been different if some of his shooters had showed up at key points of that series, for sure. I'm not going to necessarily throw them under the bus, uh, but I do think you know the fact that they didn't really consistently hit their three-point shots like they did uh, you know, midway through that series against Boston, or as they did during the regular season, uh, definitely made his life more difficult, and it brought the criticism on him harder um, because right. it, you know he's their best player, and so everyone's always going to kind of turn to him for answers. Well- and the other thing that I would add is that he was really effective and important for Milwaukee on defense. And the game in game six turned in the three minutes he spent on the bench at the start of the fourth quarter where the Raptors had just enough room to breathe and were able to tie things up. And then sort of it it just it all shifted from there. Kawhi was on the bench as well, but I, I'm not sure they would have gotten those looks had Giannis been in the game. And, um, and that's an example of him being dominant even when he's not scoring and and he was that player the entire time um it was the scoring that left room for improvement and uh and again to your point 
it was accentuated because no one else on the roster showed up. And that was, I, I leave this, this series with a lot more questions about the rest of the Bucks roster and their future than I do about Giannis's future. So people can take their shots, but I think Giannis is still going to be fine regardless. Yeah. I mean, come on. Like he, he, how old is he? 24, 25. I mean, give me a break. Uh, so yeah, he also averaged but in the postseason, the, the, he averaged 34.3 okay. minutes per game. There was 30 different players who averaged more minutes per game than Giannis did in the playoffs. And that's skewed a little bit because of the blowouts against Detroit, but not really. Um, Bud needed to lean on him harder than he did. I don't know how you explain that. I mean, some of the guys who averaged more minutes than him, Evan Fournier, Jeremy Grant, you know what I mean? Like right. Bo- Bohan Bogdanovich, Tobias Harris, like give me a break. You know what I mean? Like guys like, uh, you know, Damian Lillard averaging 40 plus minutes in the postseason, Paul George, 41 minutes of postseason, even Kawhi's up there at 39 after being, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very carefully massaged all season. I mean, those minutes matter. And again, Bud kind of dismissed that uh, in his post-game press conference saying, oh, I guess Giannis was on the court during, you know, parts of that run when they were losing too. It's like, yeah, but he was also off the court and you guys got killed anytime he was on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) Every single time for the first five games of the series and suddenly you're entering game six, biggest game of the season, and they just couldn't make the adjustment. Yeah, this this validated a lot of what I was worried about with Bud going into the Celtics series. And it was very hard for me to watch as someone who was sort of cheering for the Bucks through some of these games. Um, it was it was tough. But your point is well taken. And we, and we talked about Giannis coming into the playoffs being like, all right, well, no one in the entire NBA is better built to handle a sudden uptick in minutes and suddenly play 45 minutes a game. And the Bucks just never really went that direction even yeah. as the rest of the rotation was crumbling and they're leaning on like Ursan Ilyasova and Nikola Mirotic, whose game fell off a cliff. Like it was, it was a head scratcher situation. Well, the, like, I, the other I just thing don't too, really though, know what happened. Late in those games. I mean, Giannis was getting outlasted. That was part of it too. Like the physical specimen that he's been the whole season, like he was getting tired. He was showing signs of fatigue. So I kind of understood where Bud was coming from. And I definitely thought he would have more endurance and uh, you know, more just kind of late game closing ability than he was able to show, uh, you know, in that mm-hmm. series. Um, but again, it's kind of one of those questions of like, how much should you take off the throttle? Like if he had played heavier minutes more often, whether it's earlier in the playoffs or at times during the regular season, would he have been more prepared for those minutes? I- I'm not sure we're ever going to know. Um, but it looked like he was feeling the effects of, you know, when they did increase his minutes, he was feeling the effects there. Uh, and I think sometimes you just have to deal with that. Like it's better to have uh, a lot of cases, you know, your MVP player tired than, you know, whatever eighth man, you know, Sterling Brown type guy you're throwing out there uh, in those situations. Yeah, it's tough. Um, well, moving forward here, we have a tweet from Spike Eskin, host of a open floor rival, uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Spike is a friend, but also a sad and hateful Sixers idiot. He tweeted, One, you aren't winning a championship when your primary offensive player can't shoot. Two, you aren't winning a championship if your second best player is Chris Middleton. The cowards at the Open Floor podcast ignored these obvious facts to congratulate themselves for Giannis' success all year long, and I was telling them this again and again. They are losers and scared of their own shadows. Pathetic. And uh, 
Thank you, Spike. Clearly, Spike is projecting his own Sixers anxieties onto the rest of the league, trying to tear down Giannis, um, and it's it's sad to watch. Giannis was fantastic all year long. Uh, no, it I was just nice playoff run. It was really nice of him <laughs> to take a break from all those selfies that he's been posting from like the 1998 through 19 or 2002 <laughs> range with his different hairstyles on Twitter all weekend long to shoot off a nice uh, uh, thank you text message from us. Um, in all well, seriousness, though, <laughs> did we ever say Milwaukee was going to win the title? I didn't. Mm, I was hinting at it. I was leaning that way after the second well, round. I remember trying to push you pretty hard and you pushing back and saying <laughs> you're not going to do it. So that, that's number one. Right. I don't think that we ever said the Bucks were going to win the title. Uh, I, picked, I picked Golden State all the way through. Uh, but second of all, the part about Giannis' shooting and the impact there was absolutely an open question in these postseason because we've seen some changes to the game, right? We're seeing more centers in these playoffs than we we saw maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, we're seeing, yep. you know, just you know, different formulations. When LeBron's not out there, everyone else kind of you know puts together their own team and, and how they want to approach it. Uh, you know, Spike's Sixers are an excellent example. Like you know, building a team around a center. How much can that center um, contribute at the very highest level? Uh, those are questions that we just didn't have to ask during the LeBron era, you know, for the last three, four, five years. So the question with Giannis was like, okay, if he doesn't have a shot, but he does absolutely dominate the paint like no other player in the modern NBA around the basket in terms of his finishing, and he's improved as a passer, and he's got shooters completely surrounding him, so you can play at least, you know, four shooters at any given moment. Is that formula yeah. enough to overcome his lack of shooting? To me, that was an open question. I didn't think they were going to be able to beat Golden State given how well they're structured and how loaded they are. Uh, but they came pretty darn close to making the finals with that formula, uh, you know, falling two wins short. And, you know, they've got a decent chance. Honestly, yeah. If they bring everybody back next year, and we'll probably get into the future of the Bucks conversation here in a second, they've got a chance to make the finals again next year uh, with the exact same formula. So I do think that they were bound to hit a wall. Because if it didn't come in the Eastern Conference Finals, it was going to come in the finals given Golden State's defensive personnel. And I said that on last week's episode. Uh, they're just, you know, I understand he's given them problems and so forth, but they, they're when they're totally locked in playing playoff level defense with the guys that they have, whether it's Iguodala, Clay, Draymond, Durant. I mean, that is a fearsome foursome to throw against a guy like Giannis. Uh, uh -huh. I think that that flaw that he was hinting at in his email about having your best player not being able to shoot, it, it would have come to fruition. But Look, Giannis pushed that one to the test pretty far, right? I mean, that that is conventional wisdom, and he bent it until the very last moment when it, you know, it finally did come back to bite him. Yes, well, and and shout out to Spike again. He's a friend. We always appreciate him listening. I do feel bad because ultimately, I mean, this is someone who in the past said Giannis is nothing more than a six ten Westbrook. That was a take that sort of took the basketball internet by storm for a few weeks um i i feel bad though because it's ultimately coming from a place of jealousy where he recognizes deep down that everything that he wants ben simmons and joel Embiid to be Giannis actually is and um and that's got to be hard to swallow uh, for someone who spent four or five years tanking and selling yourselves on the championship ceiling in Philadelphia and hinky this and hinky that. It, it turns out Giannis was sort of the prince who was promised all along. And um, Joel Embiid couldn't crack double digits in a lot of playoff games this year. So that's that's tough. But yeah, I mean, one of the um, other really <laughs> tough things on that note 
It's actually, if you look at career scoring for the Eastern Conference Finals, the rookie of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, has 81 career points in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Joel Embiid still has zero. So, again, <laughs> it's, it's one of these situations where, like, he's got he's got some free time. Like, we saw his Twitter habits over the weekend in terms of, you know, this, this memory lane DJ thing he took us on with those pictures. But, you know, it, it, there's also some things he's trying to avoid, right? Some facts that are very painful that he's trying to mentally work around. Yes. Well, like any good takesman, he's choosing his facts carefully. We respect it. The one point I do want to make, and then I want to talk about Chris Middleton in a second here. But as far as the Giannis thing, I do want to be very clear that I'm not one of those people who's out here saying like, oh, don't attack Giannis. This wasn't about Giannis. Like anyone who's making this about Giannis is clearly going after the lowest possible hanging fruit. Like Giannis had some real failures in this series, and I've seen some people act like anyone who's criticizing coming coming out of the Eastern Conference Finals is being ridiculous or unfair. And the fact is, like, he, he should have been better. Um, he could have been better. He was expected to be better. And it's okay to acknowledge that he has further to go than we thought. Um, but I, there's also a line where... <laughs> You don't suddenly start second-guessing his entire future. I think he still has one of the brightest futures, if not the brightest future, of any superstar in the league right now. Um, so I, it's one of those things where like, the nuance is easily lost if you're just reading people talk about this on Twitter because a lot of people are either like hating too hard or creating these straw men where they're like, oh, like this is completely ridiculous. Let's let's not even talk about what Giannis struggled with in this series because he's still great. And so there's middle ground there. That's all I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's his first conference finals trip. So that's the context I'm operating in, right? If he's in the same yeah. place three years from now where he's running into these walls, they still haven't found a solution. The shooters around him have just kind of like come and gone. You know, you have the next wave of Miritich's and the next wave of Brogdon's have been, you know, are in there on, you know, low cost deals and they're trying the same formula and it's just not working. I think that then the sort of, fundamental attacks that people are you know bringing about against Giannis's style of play his game whatever else are will be more fair at that point than they are right now um, I just think that that yeah. part of the story is still a little bit yet to be written I think the biggest criticism you could say though is and I've mentioned before that they were in a cocoon as a team right they were pretty protected like they never really faced a lot of scrutiny they weren't you know, dealing with anything tough from the local media there at, at any point all season they were on this joyride all year long um, even two games into that Eastern Conference Finals, they were really feeling themselves, right? I think that mm -hmm. they got a little bit ahead of themselves. They kept trying to say after the fact, oh, we didn't expect it to be easy. The way they played and the way they kind of carried themselves, it did feel to me like they thought it was going to be easy or they expected uh, to just kind of get through Toronto, no questions asked, right? Because when they were kind of getting hit or when they would get these big leads, rather than tightening up and holding that 18 to four lead and, and, you know, just taking care of business, they let Toronto back in the game repeatedly. And I think you could say that's a, maybe it's a coaching failure. It's a player's mentality failure. It could be at some, you know, points along the way, just a lack of talent in some spots where they mm -hmm. maybe needed better players than they had. Um, but I, I think you include Giannis in that criticism, right? Like, I think he's a great leader. I think he's uh, set up a situation in Milwaukee where everybody feels valued, uh, where they're getting the most out of their players, uh, you know, at all possible times. But when they actually did feel some real pressure 
you know, once they really actually did get pushed by a team that was more experienced and had some answers for them, um, they did not respond well. And that goes, you know, for Giannis included. And I think that's really the takeaway and the learning experience from this game is they're better than losing four games straight to Toronto in this series. You know, that's not how it should have gone down. They should have been able to force a game seven at bare minimum. They should have looked a little bit better, uh, especially in games five and six than they did. They should have held their leads when they had the opportunity um, and they didn't. And they kind of went out with their tail between their legs a little bit. And I think that they were stunned. Their head was spinning. They just weren't ready for the magnitude of the moment. And that is something that Giannis has to own. And I think that's also the kind of thing is once you've been through that once, you're ready the second time. Uh, I agree. And I I would also say that's something that Bud has to own because going down in four games after being up 2-0 speaks to the coaching staff a little bit as well and their failure to adjust or really do anything as kind of the building was on fire, um, particularly in game six. It's just like that was pretty frustrating to watch. Um, One other thing that was frustrating to watch, Frieder says, I'm a little annoyed by the overall Bucks narrative because to me, there's one variable that has not been discussed nearly enough. Chris Middleton. Where is captain accountability on this one? If Middleton steps up, that whole the wall thing becomes a lot less effective. Speaking of which, Kawhi and half the other Raptors were on Giannis all the time. So there's really not much excuse for Middleton to not take advantage of that defense. So... I'm counting on you guys to have an honest discussion about what happened to Middleton in this series. The Bucks kind of have to pay him either way, but don't you feel a lot less confident in him now than you did before the playoffs? I know I do, Frieder says. Um, what do you think? Official statement from Middleton Industries. Um, well, I think that he was not facing criticism again before the Raptors series, right? Like I thought he was pretty darn good against Boston and, you know, they didn't really need him uh, against Detroit, but he was good there too. So I think it was more of a situation where he got caught up in some of those factors that I was describing earlier as well. Their heads were spinning and he was part of it. I also think though that Toronto's defense was so successful because uh, Bledsoe and some of these other, you know, shooters who just, you know, basically just disappeared. Um, they were just mm-hmm. cheating off those guys relentlessly, right? Like I still think that they were playing defense pretty honestly against Middleton throughout that series. Um, you know, he was like one of the other guys they didn't want to, you know, just sell out, uh, from, uh, and they, they were clearly concerned about him. Uh, he's, you know, clearly their number two, uh, you know, priority, when they're trying to scheme for Milwaukee's offense. And I think that pretty much stayed even as they continued to send a lot of help uh, towards Giannis. So, uh, you know, to me, he is one of many scapegoats here. Uh, but I also think that there is a reason why he never really had that huge breakthrough scoring game, except for the, you know, the one meaningless, you know, game he had in game five where he scored yeah. all these points, but it really didn't matter uh, because they were still, you know, holding more tightly to him than they did to say Lopez or, uh, Brogdon or Bledsoe or any of these other guys, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, Toronto's defense in general was excellent uh, in that postseason series. It was the biggest question I had entering that series. Were they going to be able to to cover everybody? Uh, and they succeeded in doing so. Uh, but he had some no-show nights and there's no way around it. I think um, he's been you know, kind of cast into that number two or number three type role. Is he a tweener in that spot in terms of if you're looking at the, the hierarchy of a team? Um, to me, they could still have made the finals with him as the number two guy uh, had he played a little bit better and had Giannis had more success um, just because they're in the Eastern Conference finals. 
if they were in the West yeah. and he's their number two guy, I don't think they make it, you know, through Golden State or Houston. Uh, and that's something that I said, you know, coming into the playoffs too. You know, I, I thought that, uh, you know, their roster construction was very impressive. Their regular season was incredible, uh, but they are still lacking a level of top end talent um, that some of these other teams have. Um, yeah, my issue with him is that I just had no confidence whatsoever that he was going to be able to create a shot for himself in the half court. And maybe that's a credit to the Raptors. But like if you have a Bradley Beal on that team, Beal is going to be significantly more valuable in in those moments. And uh, Middleton, he just looked earthbound would be the word like he he's 27 going on 35 in some of these games and uh that's not terribly encouraging he's a great shooter he's an ideal fit in theory next to Giannis but um the Bucks would have been much better off if they had somebody who could actually create offense in some of these moments and um it's a little bit frustrating that he just no-showed a lot of these games and uh it doesn't necessarily damn their future, but it does kind of change the way I think about them because I, I became a Middleton believer as well over the course of the season. And then when the chips were down, it was like, all right, well, maybe Malcolm Brogdon can give them offense or maybe they can get six or seven points from Brooke Lopez and try to narrow this gap in the fourth quarter. And that's like a crazy place to be for a team that's ostensibly a title contender and is going to be giving Middleton... 170 million dollars or whatever the max will will net out to be this summer like it's just not ideal so you would pay him i think you have to pay him strictly because the alternative for milwaukee is to lose him and and not have the flexibility to add anyone who's nearly as talented um but it's just one of those situations where like the the financial landscape leaves this team in a really frustrating spot yeah, I mean, I think he did a, a pretty good, I mean, not great, but, you know, good, passable job guarding Kawhi, you know, throughout this series too. And that's a huge ask. And clearly it was an even bigger ask than we expected coming into the series based on how Kawhi played, especially late in those games. I definitely think that influenced uh, you know, his ability to contribute offensively. I thought he was good in the first two rounds of the playoffs, like I said. Um, if they're more tested, more experienced, and they want to run this, you know, basically this entire team back next season, I would be on board with that if I was their front office. I think that would be my strategy. Um, uh-huh. It would get really expensive. I mean, that's the tricky part. And so I think, you know, Miritich and Hill are the guys I would guess are probably going uh, under this scenario, right? And they're probably going to bring, in an ideal world, they would bring Lopez, Middleton, and Brogdon all back, right? Yeah. I mean, do you think they could do that? <laughs> Actually, hold on. We got this question from uh, from Ross who says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just as I was thinking about how we could get Malcolm Brogdon to my Phoenix Suns, I hit the 42-minute mark of last week's pod, and I hear you guys try to sell Bledsoe <laughs> back to the Suns. That was a Come joke. On, that was man. a joke. Come on. <laughs> I know Malcolm is a restricted free agent, and the Bucks would be crazy to let him go, but he'd be a perfect fit on the Suns. Here's what I worry about for the Bucks this summer is there are there will probably be 10 teams out there who are ready to sell themselves on Malcolm Brogdon as a perfect fit and like I could see him getting 80 million dollars from somebody who's just like all right well this guy does exactly what we need he's a perfect he can he can guard he can space the floor next to like score x 
So he kind of would be perfect in Phoenix. He'd be perfect in Atlanta next to Trey Young. And I just worry that the Bucks are kind of uh, will find themselves priced out of the market. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think their mentality has to be the Cleveland Cavaliers mentality when LeBron first got back there, right? It's like whatever the star wants, the star gets. Anybody who can help the star, we have to bend over backwards to keep Giannis happy. I mean, I think that they're officially on the clock. There's no question about Mm -hmm. it. Uh, Giannis is going to want to win more than he did this year. And if you're losing key pieces like a Brogdon, um, you're taking a step back and you start to get into that awkward territory where like, you know, your star player is looking around saying, wait a minute, why don't I, you know, first of all, I don't have any other stars next to me. And second of all, you're not even keeping my key starters. Uh, and those would be very fair questions for Giannis to ask. And I think if you're the Bucks, you know, ownership group, you got to step up. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to get a player like Giannis in his prime. You're, you spent all season long, you know, kind of accelerating your timeline, making win now trades, you know, sending out future draft picks to kind of get people so you could make a deep run here reversing course by go, trying to, you know, letting somebody outbid you on a player like Brogdon, uh, I think that would send a bad message and it, it could get very painful. That's why I'm describing like, you know, who is your hierarchy of guys you have to bring back? I mean, to me, it's probably Middleton one, Lopez two, Brogdon three, and the other guys are mm-hmm. expendable after that. But if you lose any one of those three players, it's going to be very difficult to replace what they bring to the table. And it's going to be very difficult to sell Giannis on you're willing to do whatever it takes to you know build a a contender around him if you're losing one of those guys right and look if it blows up and it doesn't work and you've paid all these guys and Giannis still leaves two years from now um, you still have to be able to look in the mirror and say you took your shot and I think that it's time right now for them to take their shot right they can't be thinking with the long-term plan they don't have that luxury yeah but you see why it's crazy frustrating right no, their life sucks. I'm, I mean, look. First of all, they lost it. <laughs> well, because like they lost in embarrassing it, fashion. Like, they did not get yeah. where they thought they were going to. Um, the questions immediately turned to how can they keep this band together, even though this band definitely uh, reached their full potential this season. Like even if they brought everybody back to win sixty games again, that's no guarantee, right? Like even if Giannis improves, right? If the health isn't as good around him, if some guys have some off shooting years and whatever it might be. Uh, they may not get to that same mark again. You can't just pencil that in. Uh, but look, this well, is the, the cost funny, of doing like, business. To compare right? it to the Warriors. Yeah, I, I get that it's the cost of doing business, but we look at the Warriors in their opulent house on the hill out in the Bay. The new the Chase Center is coming. And I think like the prevailing sentiment is like, yeah, fuck you guys. You should have to pay $300 million in luxury tax to, to bring this team back and to keep everybody together. But the Bucks. Not to sympathize with any billionaires out there. I do kind of understand why it would be frustrating to basically be making all the same choices as the Warriors, except you have to say, all right, well, yeah, we're going to spend $100 million in luxury tax payments uh, to keep like Malcolm Brogdon, Brooke Lopez, and Chris Middleton. It's not exactly keeping like a Hall of Fame nucleus intact and... um they should do it. I agree, but I don't blame them for sweating a little bit, you know, as, as they stare down that reality. Yeah, I think that the comparison that they need to be concerned with is not against the uh, 2018 Warriors. It's against the 2022 Bucks if they don't have Giannis, right? Uh, you would you mm, would love yeah. to be you'd be able to kill in a you know to be in a position where 
you have to spend a lot of money around a guy as good as him. We saw what Cleveland, you know, did, right? As soon as they lost LeBron, it was like, we have to go start <laughs> immediately trying to rec recruit LeBron back because we can't win. All these markets are, you know, market factors are working against each other. We're not going to be able to lure free agents. Uh, if you miss on one draft pick, well, you know, you've wasted, you know, two straight years. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks know a lot of pain and lots of different ways to lose basketball games here over the last 15 or mm -hmm. 20 years. And so, yes, it sucks, but you better do it uh, because if you don't, I don't want to be in that meeting, you know, uh, on July 21st, calling Giannis into the building and saying, well, look, we lost three guys who you really liked. <laughs> And, but look, we got some minimum contract guys Let who are going to be great. Let me tell you about Sterling Brown. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I hear you. That makes sense. All right, and we will keep it moving. But first, Ben, a quick word from our sponsors at Mattress Firm. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com. Let's talk about the finals specifically, and I want to jump in with this question from Lewis, who hit us on April 24th this year, saying, let's do a thought experiment. Say Kawhi and the Termites win the finals this year, and Kawhi still bolts. Is there any precedent for a superstar showing up, winning the title, and leaving all in the same season? How would he be remembered in Toronto would the championship with Kawhi mean less? And we actually answered that, I believe, like a month and a half ago. It's now a lot more real. And um, I'm wondering what your read is on this situation. I think watching the reaction to even making the finals okay, leaves me with the idea that like, there's no way a championship with Kawhi will mean less. Whether they like whether he leaves or not, the city is going to remember this run forever. But um, how would Kawhi be remembered, and could you see him actually leaving? I could definitely see him leaving. This the championship would mean the world to the, them. I don't think that they care even if he leaves. It's like he would be royalty. Like honestly, if you gave them the choice, we lose this year's title, but we get to keep Kawhi, or we win this title. But lose Kawhi? Don't you think the Raptors fans yeah. would take the title, no questions asked? I mean, uh, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. I think that if he if he does want to leave, winning the title might even make it easier for him to leave. Where he says, "Look, I showed up here. My job is done. I will remember this year forever. But I want to go live at home in Southern California." <laughs> I believe a lot of people would probably understand that. Um, whereas if they lose. 
it is leaving a, a team that's right there on the cusp yeah. and, and will contend for the next four or five years if he stays. Yeah, I don't know if they would, though. I mean, some of those guys are getting pretty old, and I think that's where the question comes in is like, well, yeah, that's fair. how long is that title window? What's he really leaving? And I think, I mean, first of all, I don't think he's going to care. If he leaves, it's not going to be some like five-page newspaper ad to you know thank the Toronto fans. <laughs> you know, come on. I'm like, well, he's just walking out the, the door. The one... The one point that gets lost pretty often when we talk about Kawhi free agency is that all of these guys currently in Toronto come off the books in, I believe, 2020, maybe 2021. But like they're going to, whether Kawhi stays or leaves, the Raptors are going to have a chance to remake the entire team in a year or two, um, which is potentially a selling point if Kawhi, or if, if Masai wants to make that case. And I can think of a certain uh, superstar player who's going to be a free agent that summer who we just spent uh, 30 minutes talking about. Uh, mm. But uh, on this question, the title would mean a lot. Uh, there's no question about it. I, I can't think of a precedent where you know, this kind of a mercenary comes through wins and bounces. Um, it would be pretty wild. I kind of think the Raptors fans have had their eyes wide open with Kawhi all season long. Um, and yeah. so I'm not sure that they would be blindsided whatsoever if he left. And I also think the Toronto, whether it's the city, the organization, their front office, front office and everything else, have made the best possible case to keep Kawhi, right? So I'm not even sure there would be hard feelings if he left because it's like, look, man, like we did everything we possibly could do. You can't say they left anything out there on the table, right? So um, right. I think it would actually be a divorce where... Uh, if it w was to come to happen where everybody is just kind of cool with it. It's like amicable, right? But so let's talk about this finals because you were dancing around your prediction earlier. And I think last week I was sort of on Warriors in five before Toronto was able to you know, finish the deal. The way they played uh -huh. collectively down the stretch of that series really impressed me. I think that Golden State's had a lot of success in the finals, basically, you know, being able to unlock LeBron as that one man player and, and sort of just making him do everything, making his life as difficult as possible. And the supporting cast all kind of crumbles to pieces around LeBron. And then they win these series pretty handily. Um, right. I'm not sure I see that happening in this series. Like, I think that whether it's Lowry and some of these other guys who we've mentioned, they found, you know, pretty nice roles here supporting Kawhi. The balance has been there. Obviously, the career high assists from Kawhi with nine that one game was huge and kind of a testament to their their balance that I've uh, appreciated. So I guess I'm now kind of on the most boring pick, which is Warriors and six. Um, but I think a lot of that is influenced by the Durant factor. Um, and that's assuming that he's going to miss the first two games. I think if Durant was on the court, all the matchups would look a lot different. I think Golden State's confidence would just be through the moon. Um, and I would be more inclined to pick Warriors and five in that scenario. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't know. Where um, are you at? Through the moon versus through the roof. I like that. Um, the ceiling is the roof. Over the moon, uh, whatever. I, who even knows at this point? It's been a long playoff run for both of us. Where I'm at, Ben, is I'm not ready to make an official Official pick, oh total cop-out. I and Look, I, you know what? Here's, here's the official pick. Warriors in seven. What I worry about with the Warriors is that they played a team in Portland that made them look slightly better than they actually are without Durant because the guards in Portland had no answers for what Steph wanted to do, what Clay could do. And then Draymond is incredible, but like... Putting him up against Zach Collins and Ennis Cantor is a great way to make him look like one of the 10 best players of all time. And um, and I think that he's going to 
have a, a more interesting struggle dealing with whether it's Siakam, whether it's Gasol, whether it's Kawhi. Like, it, he will be challenged and tested in interesting ways as well. And so I think that the Warriors are better. I would love to see Steph get this title. I think there's a lot on the line for him in this series. Ethan Strauss had a great piece uh, in The Athletic the other day where he talked about, like, if Steph ends up coming through here, this is going to change the way we talk about him all time. Um, and so for that reason, I'm, I'm rooting for the Warriors probably because I just have enjoyed watching Steph over the last 10 years. Uh, that said, I, I think that the Raptors have the tools to make this difficult. And so um, while I, I understand why a lot of people are out there looking at what the Raptors just did and said, man, I hope you guys enjoy this because you're about to get destroyed in the finals. I have a feeling it's going to be a little bit more interesting than that. Yeah, I think that's a little bit of lazy thinking, you know, especially given the way that they persevered and uh, right and and well, with Kawhi and this is playing a really at the t- versatile team. Yeah, it is, and with Kawhi playing at the top of his game, I think to to sell them out and to say, oh yeah, they're just going to get steamrolled. I think that's unfair. Uh, so the the thing I would say is neither one of these conference finals really set the table that well for either one of these teams in the finals. Like, as you mentioned with mm-hmm. Portland, like, you know, they're not only weak defensively in those guard spots, but their three, four offensively just gave them nothing. Right. And so yeah, Toronto is going to be getting more from those spots. Even if Siakam, you know, is, you know, is up and down or Ibaka is up and down. Like those guys are going to be producing more uh, than Portland's front court players, uh, you know, in those uh, spots where, you know, Golden State likes to trap and, you know, you know, leave those guys free. Like they're going to be able to do better than Portland's uh, forwards did, like no question about it. And I also think on the other side, though, with Milwaukee's offense being so inside out, so reliant upon Giannis going to the basket and Toronto's interior defense being such like a key, uh, you know, turning point in that last series, that entire story mm-hmm. gets flipped when you're playing Golden State because they do everything outside in, right? And it's all around the perimeter. It's all ball movement, player movement, high screen and rolls. You know, Steph Curry stretching you vertically and their shooters stretching you horizontally. That like the defensive successes that, uh, you know, Toronto had against Milwaukee kind of get thrown out the door a little bit. Like obviously, you know, their individual yes. players, whether it's Siakam or, or Leonard, are going to be great defenders kind of no matter what situation you're in. But they're just going to be tested in a totally different way. So I think because Milwaukee, um, you know, at this stage of their season was better than sort of injury ravaged Portland, I think Toronto gets to have the be- or the benefit of a little bit better preparation for Golden State. But it's not actually that practical <laughs> preparation, uh, if that right. makes sense. Well, and watching Marcus Saul, he was fantastic defensively, uh, shutting down the paint against Giannis, and he's a big reason that they were able to have as much success as they did. But like, as I think about this Warriors series, I'm imagining Gasol, 25 feet from the hoop, doing his own stumps on skates routine, and like, I don't know how that's gonna work out for him, and I don't know how many minutes he's gonna be able to play if the Warriors really seek him out and go after him. And then at that point, the Raptors have to look at guys like Norman Powell and Fred Van Vliet and hope that they get the good versions of those players. And that's sort of its own crapshoot. So there are questions for Toronto to answer. For sure. And I also think if you're if you're trying to beat Golden State, like being able to pick on Looney, like uh, you know, a player like Harden was able to, or Chris Paul was able to at certain times during that second round series, and uh, you know, try to force them out of that lineup as much as you can. Uh, 
that's key. And I'm not sure Toronto is going to be able to spread Golden State's defense out to the same degree, right? Uh, I think that they're probably mm-hmm. going to be, you know, playing a little bit uh, more tightly. I mean, ultimately, this whole series comes down to Toronto's offense, the supporting pieces. How much help does Kawhi get? Um, and I also think, you know, the other X factor would be Toronto's transition defense because I thought it was really at times not good and got them in- into some really big holes against Milwaukee that they were able to yeah. to dig out of. And I don't think you can get into big holes against Golden State uh, or let them get loose in transition and still be able to like, you know, pull your way back into the game. Even if you've got Kawhi leading the way and even if you're staying steady and all of that, you've got to have a more, you know, balanced kind of like, uh, you know, less uh, huge vacillations up and down in terms of how you're playing. I, I do agree with that, but it takes me back to some of what was so impressive against the Bucks, and, and that's just Toronto's ability to control pace and uh, not turn the ball over. And a lot of that is, is rooted in Kawhi's own brilliance because his ability to score in the half court and slow it down and still get whatever he wants is a very, very special skill. And um, and that might be what they need to keep these games from getting out of hand. And the, and it's going to be another test for him. I, like, I can't even believe how great he's been over the last month. And so we'll see if he can keep it going. He's another guy who's probably playing with house money at this point. Like, he doesn't have much else that he, he needs to prove. Uh, but he's going to have the opportunity here to put his imprint on these games and really kind of take over. Um, and it, some of it will come down to, you know... Is it are these games going to revolve around Kawhi or are they going to revolve around Steph? And that's like a really simplistic way to look at it. But if they're controlling pace and slowing things down and getting the Warriors into a grind, like that's going to really favor Kawhi. And then alternatively, like if you're going to have these these guys going up and down the floor, ball flying all over the floor, Warriors out in transition, like Steph is probably going to go off for 35 or 40 and the Raptors are screwed. Yeah. So you mentioned the legacy stuff for Steph. I think the legacy implications here for Kawhi are actually huge. And I understand the house money idea. They're the underdogs, but like if they win, if Kawhi leads them to the victory, I think his reputation entirely changes because remember his title that he came, (laughs) that he had in San Antonio he was, you know, like yeah. the third or the fourth option. I mean, he averaged like 12 points a game during that regular season. I think his usage rate was like 18 in the playoffs that year. I mean, he was, you know, like Siakam basically for Toronto. Now, it's true. It's true. And people have talked about it like, how could anybody question playoff Kawhi? And I have not been one of those people who's questioned playoff Kawhi, but like that finals, he was great, but it wasn't the type of career-defining performance that should have changed the way we talk about him for the next 10 years. Right. And some people have retroactively pretended as if it was, and we've all just been ignoring well, it. It's been, it's been kind of weird to watch. When it happened, it seemed like it was going to set up a de- decade of greatness for Kawhi in San Antonio, right? Like, that was the story. But you look at the last five years, and I wrote about this for my newsletter. People can subscribe uh, on the Washington Post. It's coming out tomorrow, but... Like the last five years have been a long, strange journey for Kawhi. Everybody knows about the injury against Golden State and the lost season and all that. But before that, he got outdueled by Kevin Durant in the playoffs. He actually got benched at times of the fourth quarter of Game 7 against the Clippers, and they lose that in the first round coming off of a title year, which was a stunning defeat uh, when that happened. So he's had some phenomenally efficient postseason games and some really impressive like head-to-head series wins against guys, but he's also had his share of lumps along the way too. 
And he had to very yeah. gradually and steadily build himself into that MVP level candidate. And once he got there, he disappeared off the face of the map for you know almost two years. Um, you know because right. he wasn't able to finish that Western Conference Finals, and because you know he missed the entire second season. So uh, from a legacy standpoint, if they win the series, people are going to call him, and probably rightfully so, the best player in basketball. Uh, people are going to say he won a title on his own terms. He dethroned a dynasty. He was able to do what LeBron couldn't do in 2014 and overcome an entire defensive scheme full of Hall of Fame level defenders who are geared around slowing him down, right? So it's almost this role reversal he's got himself into where he's he's taking on this uh, LeBron alpha dog role for Toronto after five years ago, he was trying to slow LeBron down and being in a much smaller, you know, almost niche role for San Antonio. So it's pretty fascinating from a story standpoint. And if he does it, like, and I don't think the Duran injury, honestly, will provide much of an asterisk. I still think Golden State deserves to be strongly favored in this series, even without Duran. Yeah. And if Kawhi is able to pull it off, he deserves total credit given all of the craziness he's gone in the last five years and how much he's improved as a player and changed his style of play and his role in impacting games offensively, he will deserve all the credit, uh, no asterisk whatsoever. Um, yes, I agree with pretty much everything you say. I think Kawhi, it felt like two years. It was really only about a year, a year and three months that he was well, like full on disappeared. But it was two but, postseasons because, you know, he, he doesn't get to play games two, three, four, right? And so that colors that entire postseason yeah. in 2017. And then he didn't show but up for he was also for unbelievable in the first round against the Grizzlies. It, but it, from a narrative standpoint, like about. they could have won the title in 2017. I didn't think that was going to happen, right? But like they're up in game one and his story just gets kind of like, like the tape just stopped after game one of that series. <laughs> yeah. And well, like, so how and, will we discuss Kawhi if he is like an, a, a top two or three MVP player in the 2017 season and he somehow beats the Warriors in that series, right? Like his reputation, yeah. his legacy, even if he loses the next season due to injury, is in a totally different place. And that's kind of what I meant about his arc. Like his arc has been so curvy and just like going to different directions and it just disappears from the map because he hasn't had that very traditional like, okay, let's judge him in this year and then this year and then this year and then this year because he's got basically blank spots in 2017 and 2018 for the playoffs. Yeah, and what I wonder about, I mean, when I think about the last six or seven years of his career, I think his, his genius is the ability to internalize coaching and address weaknesses in his game and get not only incrementally better, like it's different than what Kawhi has done is different than Giannis adding like a half-assed jump shot to keep the defense honest. Kawhi has taken his weaknesses and not only been decent, but suddenly dominant. And, um, and that's a skill that we've just never seen before. We've not like when you look at Durant, what makes him special? What will we remember him by? Like he's the smoothest scorer of all time. Steph is the best shooter of all time. LeBron is one of the best all-around players we've ever seen, maybe the best ever. Kawhi, his genius is is the ability to just build out his game in ways we've never seen before. And um what he's turned himself into is like legitimately shocking. Uh, and along those lines, I don't know how we would talk about him if he goes out and wins this title 
because we, I guess not since Duncan, but even Duncan had more of a public persona. Like Duncan was in deodorant commercials. He was David Robinson's little brother. Like we knew who Duncan was. He was the big fundamental. Kawhi is just a blank slate and that's not a shot at him, but it would be very strange to come out of this playoff run with him as the undisputed best player in the league. Like I, that would be a, a weird deal for the NBA and a weird thing for basketball fans to wrap their heads around. Yeah, especially if you turn around the left. I mean, that would be... Uh... Yeah, which is entirely possible, which is crazy to think about sitting here like two days before the finals. Well, it's good that we're bracing for it, but I do think that should be clear. Like if he wins this series, I mean, he's overcoming... All of the Hall of Famers who I laid out, you know, when, when Harden was facing them. And I think some people were saying, oh, like you're being too easy on Harden. No, like the Warriors are loaded with or without Durant, with or without Cousins. So it would be easily the crowning achievement for his career because of the circumstances he's in, because of the type of team that he's inherited, because of the role they've asked him to play, because of that, uh, you know, four bounce game winner, because of his uh, lockdown defense on Giannis. I mean, this would be a crazy storybook story that not very many people could have predicted. And I think, uh, uh, you know, it's one of those things where like, we shouldn't hold it back in any way. Like Durant obviously would tilt the scales for golden state in a major, major, major way. Uh, their matchups in terms of how to handle Kawhi, how to handle Siakam are so much easier. If you've got uh, Durant in those lineups than trying to make do without him, their depth is so much better when Durant's healthy than when he's not out there. Um, and Golden State will find itself, I believe, in this series. You know, I'm not sure if it's going to be immediately from Game One, but at certain points of this series, there's no question in my mind they're going to be thinking, "Man, we wish we had Durant out there." Or how quickly can we get this guy back? Um, but that should not detract from Kawhi in any way. I mean, this would be mm. a crazy crowning achievement, just like LeBron, you know, beating you know Golden State, uh, you know, in 2016 before Durant got there is viewed as his crowning achievement. I think it should be sort of on that same level from a historical standpoint. That's how good Golden State's been, uh, and that's how impressive they've wow. been in this postseason. I don't know I don't know if I would put it quite that high, uh, well, but look, it's, I mean, it's from certainly a, in From mix. a narrative standpoint, I understand, like, you know, bringing it back to Cleveland and all of that is more impressive and, like, just the 3-1 and, all you know, those kinds of things add to the allure of it. But from a pure basketball mm-hmm. standpoint – just like what's a more impressive accomplishment, taking a team that could never get over the hump and knocking off yeah. the Warriors. Uh, to me, that would be right on par from a pure basketball standpoint. You're, you know what? Because Kawhi is not right. going to have a Kyrie to help him. Good as, There's not going to be any guy yeah. who puts up 40 points in the finals uh, alongside Kawhi. That's just not going to happen, right? So his burden here is huge. And that's why I do think that it's very easy to look past the challenges that he's already overcome and the challenges he's facing because we haven't thought about him very much, um, but <laughs> we haven't thought about him in these terms, in these like greatest to ever play the game type terms. And now he's inserted himself into that category with this playoff run. And it's just kind of crazy to think about. Um, and honestly, if he had more of a personality and people are going to say this is unfair and people should have been paying attention to Kawhi all along, but like personality is part of it in this sport. And that's how this, the, the league works. And his um, demeanor over the course of his career has probably cost him some credit that he has deserved along the way. But you're absolutely right. Hearing you talk about it, it's, I mean, people can probably hear me piecing this together as we go. But like, yeah, if he wins this title, we're going to come out of this having a lot of um, 
interesting conversations about where he ranks historically and where this run ranks historically because right now he's already blown everyone's minds and and beating the Warriors would be a whole lot because like I think if 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 the Raptors are up halfway through this series Durant will come back and then that will be a whole other mountain for the Raptors to climb and if they do that I mean what do you even say like I I will be speechless at the end right for sure I mean, personally, I think he's going to come back kind of no matter what. As soon as he's healthy, he will play. I don't think that you know, all this like hand-wringing about, oh, it's going to change everything and all that. Look, like <laughs> it's going to change things in good ways for Golden State if he's back healthy. If he has to shake off a little bit of rust, that's fine. If you have to kind of figure out his minutes or whatever. But the moment he's ready to play, I think he will be on the court for Golden State. And I think that the rest of it is just sort of like you know, noise. And uh, mm. we'll have to see how it plays out. We'll have to see the fallout from him returning and everything else. But we're talking about a guy who is at worst, the third best player, you know, probably I would consider at worst, the second best player in the NBA at this point. If he wants to play, he's going to play. Okay. Well, yet another variable to consider another wild card in the mix. All right, let's close it out with one email from Hans in Norway, who says, Hey guys, I have been listening to your show for the past two years now, and of all the NBA podcasts out there, I truly believe Open Floor is the best one around and brings the relevant NBA news I need packed into a two-hour-long weekly podcast. So thanks, guys. However, I'm a Raptors fan, and you guys have to apologize to all the termites all over the globe. Just for context, I grew up in Chicago during my early elementary school years. I was spoiled with MJ dominance in the 90s, and I'll defend Jordan's legacy in that Bulls dynasty until my dying days. Moving back to Norway in the late 90s then was surreal. I moved to a civilization where you had to order DVDs from abroad to get any semblance of a connection to the league and what was going on. Soon thereafter, though, with the internet, you could illegally download NBA games. The users uploading these games were either from Sacramento or, wait for it, our beloved termite city, Toronto, Ontario. On on January the 6th, 2006, I downloaded a Raptors game that had just been uploaded on a now-extinct file-sharing website. Chris Bosh, Matt Bonner, and the rest of the gang were trying to get a W at home versus the Los Angeles Lakers. I was rooting for Jalen Rose and Toronto that night, spoiler-free and unaware of what was about to happen. That night, I watched Kobe Bryant rip Toronto to shreds and, yes, score 81 humiliating points. I have rooted for Toronto ever since. And that is a great... Toronto Termite origin story. Thank you for sharing Hans in Nor- in Norway. And um, yeah, one more time, congrats to all the termites of the world because you guys deserve this. Because I feel like a lot of Raptors fans have stories like that and suffered through some crazy lows during the 90s and mid-2000s. Like Vince leaving, I can't even imagine what that was like. It's cool that they have come this far. I mean, if that doesn't summarize a termite, I don't know what is. You know, I was talking about like the <laughs> the atomic bombs in Chernobyl and they would still keep coming back. If you survive 
81 from Kobe, and that's what sucks Not you in. Not only survived, that brought him in, it sounds right. like. I don't know what what kind of person the, the Raptors are attracting, but clearly loyalty is not a question mark for these This people. is what I'm saying. This is why it is such a an honor to be called a termite. I mean, look, Doc Rivers called the Clippers roaches, right? So he pilfered the, the same principle to, like, you know, big up his team. But, you know, it's it's true. Uh, there's no question about it. This is their day, and, and we'll see how these finals go. And Andrew, on that note, we encourage everyone to keep the great emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. It's also that time of year. New people are tuning into the NBA. So help us capture their attention by going to our Apple Podcast page. Search for Open Floor. You'll find our page. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. Leave us some kind words. It's just that easy. We'll, we really appreciate it. I'm on Instagram and my I will document my international travels starting Tuesday at ben.goliver so check that out um andrew we're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor i look forward to seeing you in toronto later this week for the the launch of the 2019 nba finals it's such an exciting time to be alive until later this week i will talk to you all right man can't wait safe travels see you soon finals let's do it i'll talk to you soon